Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 45, Piano Man. Thank you. That, uh, that was a song for all of you lovers out there who have lost some love. And uh, here's another one. Why did you just walk out of my life? You slimy lounge lizard. You've only been working on this Z circuit for five minutes and you've already got a it's woman in tears. Think. Isn't it? My name is Chuck Danner, lounge lizard extraordinaire. I think three years ago you didn't want to marry me. And that's why I ran away. I haven't got the foggiest. What else could I think? Well, uh. No birth certificate, no social security, no draft. Why else would you disappear? No I, 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 um, why else would you change your name? Ah. Well, that's it. You changed your name. We gotta get your real name, Sam. I need some answers so I can get on with my life. No, all we know is you're Chuck Danner, whom you're not, and you're uh, entertaining in a lounge in Tela Rosa, New Mexico, November 10th, 1985. What's the guy saying in the waiting room? He still insists that he's Chuck Danner, lounge lizard extraordinaire. Joey, you never used to let anybody touch your car. Joey, bingo. It's been a long time since anybody's called me by that name. Okay, Joey DiNardo was born in Chicago in December 1950, and, and he died when... when his car was bombed in a parking lot in Tellerosa, New Mexico. was meant for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Christopher D. Philippus. I'm Allison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And today we'll be, Allison, this is your joke. Would you like to say it? <laughs> okay. I'm just repeating myself, but it's so good. <laughs> today we'll be playing ourselves in with the season three episode, Piano Man. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's a terrific joke, and I think that um, we're going to need all the help we can get on this episode, so you just keep making them, all right? Okay. 
if that's maybe giving away a little bit about what I feel about Piano Man. We will go there. <laughs> this is going to be yet. an interesting. You've one. been alluding to this for for uh, for a while, so I think I got an idea of what you think of this one. <laughs> I can just say this: that any illusions, a l l u s i o n s is that's how you spell it, that I have been making will be very definite after two rewatches of this episode. But before we get to all that nonsense, uh, I just want to also tell everybody that we have another great guest interview on this show. It is none other than Velton Ray Bunch. Now, Velton was the main composer for the entire series of Quantum Leap and was instrumental in crafting the most memorable part of this episode, the song Somewhere in the Night. Allison and I got to speak to Velton at length about how that song came together and working on the episode, and you have that to look forward to after the break, so stick around for that. But guys, not only do we have Velton Ray Bunch, Matt has kind of hinted that he's made some kind of <laughs> discovery, Matt. So. Uh, yeah, we've got a little something coming up, um, kind of uh, smaller, but along the same lines as uh, Allison's discovery earlier this year. Ah, try, trying to steal Allison's thunder, are we? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I am so excited. It won't do that. It won't do that. <laughs> but um, it is a little, a little fun addition. All right, so we have that to look forward to too. I can't wait for the rest of this show. I think we should do initial impressions first. I'll start because I think I probably have the most positive uh, impression here. But uh, what I makes really you enjoy think that. I don't know. Well, maybe it's just Chris. Maybe it's just Chris. <laughs> maybe it is just me. I don't mean to bring the party down. Anyway. <laughs> well, I enjoyed this episode. I think it's fun. It's got a lot of action in it. So uh, I, I think it's got some good stuff. What about you, Matt? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't like this episode. Um, <laughs> I was right. See? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, want, I wanted to surprise, but I can't. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will we'll get into the detail later I'm sure, but uh I think this this episode has one very obvious saving grace, but uh no, I've I've never been a fan of it. Um I'm looking forward to dissecting it more with you guys and um really looking forward to hearing uh your positive slant on it, Alison, that'll be refreshing. <laughs> okay. I wasn't aware this was a disliked episode from a lot of people, but <laughs> Well, no, just just compared to the voice in my head. I see, um, I see. It, it, that that will be nice. <laughs> All right, Chris, what are your thoughts? All right, I, I don't want to bring the podcast down, but let me just start on a little bit of a serious note. I just want to say to Runaway and to Private Dancer, I know I threw a little bit of shade your way as being maybe not the best episodes, but but that was before I rewatched Piano Man. <laughs> now I know what a truly bad episode of Quantum Leap is like, and I am so sorry. You are champions of Quantum Leap in comparison to this episode that features, oh, I don't know, some of the most paper-thin characters, some of the most trite expository dialogue, and oh my god, it embodies so much of the most ridiculous TV logic you can ever, you know, see on TV. Well, we got a lot to talk about. <laughs> can I just say, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this one. Oh, yeah. I think there's a lot of stuff to make fun of with this one, so. <laughs> yeah, and to lament, but <laughs> maybe we'll get into that after the episode recap. Allison here, taking over the recap with this super funny edition of the Quantum Leap Podcast. When Sam leaps out of his dancing shoes, he lands right in the piano seat to serenade the audience. 
Unfortunately, he doesn't know what song is being requested by the sexy lady he encounters. Oh boy. Thank God, time, fate, whatever for sheet music. Following this handy guideline, the audience is treated to Somewhere in the Night, the number one single from the Quantum Leap soundtrack. All he needs to do is lose his shirt, and all the women would be on the floor. But, I don't know, I guess it was cold that night. Anywho, Sam encounters a woman named Lorraine, who seems to have a past with Chuck Danner, the lounge lizard he's leaped into. Right away, the audience is clued into the fact Lorraine is a super klutz, which comes in handy when you need to cover for the leading actor's ankle injury. Lorraine has been searching for Chuck, actually, make that Joey DiNardo, for three years. So why did he leave the act, and their relationship, changing his name, without a word? Well, it probably has to do with the car bomb that nearly kills them. Sam regrets giving the keys to the bartender and his sexy lady friend, but hey, it's good for the audience because Sam didn't blow up. Though he is shot in the leg, so he'll surely never play piano again. Someone is trying to kill Joey because, according to Al, he saw somebody get whacked. Said attempted murderer is Nikki Bellini, Joey's old childhood friend with ties to the mob. When Sam and Lorraine go on the run, Nikki follows. Lorraine is convinced their bad luck is due to her being a jinx, but Sam is sure there's a more reasonable explanation. It probably has to do with the many phone calls Lorraine is having with her fiancé Carl, but let's see how this pans out. Taking refuge in a small-town diner, Sam and Lorraine call the sheriff and wait for rescue. Conveniently, there is a piano there. Our two lovebirds share a romantic moment by singing Somewhere in the Night. Which is great and all, but the diner's proprietor has a question for them. Can they cut loose? Foot loose? Kick off their Sunday shoes? As it turns out, they can. It's not long before Al shows up and doggone it, they're gonna get killed again. Time to get out of Dodge. The same thing happens when they stop at a gas station for a spare tire, so what gives? Al thinks Lorraine really is a jinx and convinces Sam to cut the cord. This turns out to be a bad move, because now Lorraine gets killed on a mountain that's just like uh, right over there, I guess. Desperate now, Sam steals a truck and chases down Nikki Bellini, which results in the killer being obliterated by an oncoming semi. But was that really Nikki Bellini? Of course not. Turns out the guy who got toasted was working for the real Nikki, Carl, and Lorraine has run right into his arms. Sam comes to her rescue with a shotgun, but not before Nikki threatens to break her neck. He seems to have the advantage until Lorraine accidentally drops an engine on top of him. We may never know if she was really a jinx, but she certainly was bad luck for Nikki. With a trail of bodies behind them and a bright future ahead, Lorraine and Joey get back together, and Al tells Sam that eventually they start up their act again in Hawaii. And with that, Sam leaps away somewhere in the night. I am excited to talk about this because we, uh, since we became full-time hosts, have not gotten to an episode with the mob. Forget about it. <laughs> hey. No way. What? Hey, yo. No way. What? We're and Italian. that's unlikely. That, that happens every five or six weeks on Boston. <laughs> I never thought about how often there was like mobsters yeah. in this show until until you guys brought it up and yeah you're totally right. <laughs> yeah, well, if anybody remembers, if you listened that far into an episode about a year ago, I did a whole thing in reaction to Double Identity, which is just like the cheesiest, most stereotypically offensive Italian. Oh, just the mobsters in that were cartoonish, and it just pointed up. Actually, was it double? No, it was. It was the other one after that with um, 
with the priest and the railroad tracks, which we talked about on Future Boy. And I always forget the damn name of it. But uh, Leap of Faith. Leap of Faith, yeah. That had another Italian-American gangster in it. And that was the last one that I remembered because I, I kind of ended that segment saying, thank God we're out of the woods, but leave it to mm-hmm. Piano Man, the most utterly forgettable episode of Quantum Leap to go under my radar and bring the trope back yet again. I don't know what it is with Quantum Leap in particular. It might be something that Don just is tickled by. It (laughs) might be a problem of the person who wrote this episode because I think a lot of this episode stems from the particular writer, and we'll get into that more, but boy howdy, is this a tired trope? And it's back, Nikki Bellini! Oh, I shot Ponty in day. And now I'm going to get you, Joey. You hear that? I'm going to use this ditzy blonde. And I'm gonna, oh, God. I think it's just a very easy trope to do because it, you're like, well, why does this person want to kill someone? Well, because they saw someone get whacked. You saw someone get whacked. we got to get rid of the witness. Chris, I've, I've got to ask because you, you're probably more sensitive to this than I am. But, and I hadn't noticed this until I rewatched this earlier on today. Does Nikki's accent get stronger at the point that you discover he's evil. Just he when when you discover who he really is and he turns, he suddenly seems to be even more <laughs> like that. Joey, Joey, Joey. How you doing? Because he transforms from <laughs> Carl to Nikki, Nikki Bellini. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't really know. I was probably so bored by the episode at that point I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Certainly on the second rewatch, I, I it, probably went over my head because I was just trying to get straight in my head everything that I thought was wrong with this episode. Try to get through it, get to the end credits. <laughs> you know what I noticed too about this episode? This is because I, I was just reading the draft script, a uh, couple of draft scripts for Her Charm from season two. Huh? And this kind of came off a little bit like that, except if the if the guy was the one that was that would had changed his identity and was being chased around by the mobster who who they saw someone get whacked or testified against him or whatever you saw someone get whacked it was a little bit similar to that i found there's not that many mob plots to go around except that was like the greek mob or something in that one <laughs> we don't know it was just a weird name kashefis kashefis it was greek because let me tell you in the script to that they had to hit you over the head the fact these two were greek right like they were eating greek deli they were speaking greek they're t- oh man they, they have the greek um, imports that they have got like they had to make sure that you knew these two were greek <laughs> uh, i guess maybe they'd want it to be equal opportunity offenders but I, I totally thought they were Italian until I read the script because that's what yeah. it came off like. So did I. I mean, so did I. I mean, they 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 dressed like Italians. They spoke like Italian. You know, they I shouldn't say Italians. Like stereotypical <laughs> TV mobsters is, yeah. is the way yeah. they came across. So you just naturally assume they're Italian. But uh, Allison, that was one of my chief notes. This is kind of just like her charm, except nowhere near as engaging or yep. interesting. Or you know, you just don't With have likable uh, characters, right? You know? can, can, can I just say this episode has a a high body count for a quantum leap, <laughs> uh, and nothing nothing to do. Well, I guess it does have to do with the gangsters, but didn't it just smack of like a seventies slash eighties like Stephen J. Cannell show? Oh, it, it totally was ri- did. Yeah, written in the style <laughs> of like just those Adventure of the Week shows where there is just not a lot of logic, a whole bunch of dumb action and car chases, and yep. mobsters and gangsters that will literally gun you down in the open street with impunity. 
because, you know, that's what happens every day in real life. I get the impression that all the reasons you're saying you don't like it, Chris, are probably the exact same reasons Alison does. Yeah. That, Look, all right. <laughs> that sounds like just... a really positive review for Alison. <laughs> this is not this is not like a, a thought provoking episode, I should say, but I like the action in it. Um, you get a lot of fun stuff, but I do agree there's some things that come off like a you know, Stephen J. Cannell show rather than Quantum Leap. Like, for instance, Sam comes in with a shotgun ready to blow that guy away. Where could he have gone? Carl, why are you acting like this? I don't understand. I do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He totally gets that bartender and that lady from the bar killed in his place. Yeah. They go in the car and they blow up. And the episode kind of glosses over that. God, fate, time, whatever, obviously doesn't need them to be alive. They have they they do nothing for history. They are like, they're a waste of like, space. Did they not have any like children or any other nope. things in history? No, they no, infected, no. just gone. It's like okay, but you just traded two lives for the guy that you saved, right? And it was such a big deal in Leap Home Part Two. Yeah. I traded a life for a life, and now it's just like, oh, we better get on the road. I mean, there was such <laughs> like, gleeful murderous mayhem in this like episode. Squ- the guy gets squished and blown up in the semi. <laughs> um, the, guy, the guy, Nikki, getting squished under the engine. Th- that's possibly yeah. the most graphic death they've had on this show. And just how did it happen? I mean, this gets more into some of the awful, truly awful character work. But if you want to stay on Nikki just just a little while uh, longer, was I the only one that saw him as sort of Biff Tannen, but without the depth? Especially when he's when he's on the phone screaming, "You come home, Lorraine, Lorraine, yes. Lorraine, yeah, Lorraine, yeah. where are you, Lorraine?" <laughs> Damn it, Lorraine. Thick. When are you going to get it through your thick skull, Lorraine? You're my girl. <laughs> it was really hard not to uh, not to channel him. Honestly, I didn't get that. He's he's honestly not very memorable of a villain for me. Um, I, I didn't even get Biff Tannen out of him. Uh, it's honestly it's just him yelling Lorraine in the middle of everything. It reminded me of the scene in Back to the Future Back 2. Back to the Future where, 2 where, he where storms he's like, in. you'll be mine, Lorraine. And he's, oh. he's like got the dress and he's running after her in the street. Yeah. I'm going to marry you someday, Lorraine. Someday you'll be my wife! Oh boy. But we digress. (laughs) (laughs) Biff is always a good digression. That's that's just an observation generally. We digress. Um, Do we need a new tagline for the show? (laughs) We digress. Quantum Leap Podcast, (laughs) we digress. Hoping that each digression would bring them back to the topic at hand. (laughs) Oh, another thing. Like, this episode's lack of reverence for life <laughs> i kind, of, yes. I kind yeah. of enjoy this lorraine thank you let's talk about lorraine she totally got a bunch of her boyfriends killed oh well and it's hilarious like she may not be a jinx but she's like oh it, it, my boyfriend got eaten by an alligator um <laughs> the guy fell out of the stands um it, after those two get blown up in the car like she's like oh they're dead uh, that's a bummer even though i don't know that lady was kind of mean that poor bartender that poor girl she wasn't mean. <laughs> she doesn't really care about anyone dying around her. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, let's let's just take it logically. First of all, you have Lorraine, whose chief character trait, she's not even a character, is, I'm a klutz. <laughs> I'm a jinx. Oh, no. I mean, how does that pass as an actual person, as I a like character, her. when you're writing a script... She has no other defining traits other than she's looking for Joey 
and she's a klutz and a jinx, and she doesn't know how to drive. She almost gets into head-on, heads, head-ons, heads-on. I don't know which one you say. Head-on, applied directly to the forehead. Head-on, applied directly to the forehead. With with trucks, she's quote, and this is Al saying she has synapses missing. She's mm-hmm. biologically ditzy, so <laughs> ditzy and dumb and blonde and jinxy that they can't get a fix on her. I mean, that's just that goes that goes from incredulous to insulting really quick, and that's that's what bothers me most about this episode. It's not that it's a it's a bad action episode. It's to me, it comes across as a bad comedy episode. It it's to me, it seems to set out to say, look, here's this hilarious character. Let's make a comedy episode all about her, and then fails at every moment because she's so two dimensional. The action I can forgive. I don't know. I I like her. I like her. I do. And like, I, I like that it's a comedic lady of the week because you don't get a lot of that. You get a lot of like, they're, they're the, the really pretty women that, uh, that Scott Bakula has to save. And there's lots yeah. of tears. And, um, I like that th- she was really goofy and they weren't afraid to do kind of stupid things with her, like spilling coffee all over everyone or, or stepping on Scott Bakula's foot to cover for his limp or whatever. <laughs> None of that's funny. Well, she also. I. I think maybe. I think maybe we're doing a little bit of a disservice to to the actress, though, because I do think she had moments. They had the moment where um where she first appears in the bar when he's playing on the piano, and they have that bit of wordless acting where she's watching him, and mm-hmm. she's tearing up because this is someone that she hasn't seen in I don't know was it three years or something since since he disappeared from her life they were gonna get married and here he is singing that song that they came up with together and added lyrics to and uh, and you could tell that that really moved her I'm not gonna argue with you there and I want to go on record as saying that I think that the actors have nothing to do with how bad this episode is. They are making the best of a bad job, and they are pulling it off admirably because at least it's watchable. Um, (laughs) They they didn't have a lot to work with, and goddammit, they they really took it to town anyway. It's just that there is not a lot to embrace in this episode, in my opinion. Allison, it's great that they have a comedic female lead of the week you're absolutely Mm -hmm. right but when spilling coffee stepping on somebody's foot and murdering all your boyfriends turns (laughs) into your entire character then it kind of gets to be in my opinion a bit unforgivable it's it it, it's like they they took all of the clutchiness and and the goofiness and used that as a stand-in for a genuine character and it was a disservice because the actress was able to pull it off just fine. Imagine if she had really had, you know, if she had really had something to work with. It it would have been terrific. It would have been great. Well, what else does she have? She has um, the fact that she is looking for closure uh, with uh, with what <laughs> happened guess. with her with her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, she thinks that she's a jinx. Um, she's she's trying to. You're reaching here. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think of some more depth here, but I mean, honestly, like, I like that they had some physical gags with her. You know, you don't usually see a lot of physical comedy with women as well. So I thought there was fun there. But uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it isn't really the most depth that we've had in a character, but but I don't think she was as two dimensional as as uh, you seem to have the opinion of. <laughs> I guess also maybe my research has colored the way I'm looking at the episode ultimately because I noticed the name of the writer is Ed Sherlock, and that's not anyone I'd ever seen as a writer on a Quantum Leap episode. So I looked the guy up 
And this is truly his only Quantum Leap episode, but this guy came up in the mid-60s is when he started his career, and he was a mainstay writer or producer on every show that we, children of the 70s and the 80s, grew up watching in reruns. He wrote dozens of episodes of things like, you know, um, The Ghost of Miss Muir, The Odd Couple, Mm -hmm. That Girl, Mork and Mindy. Mork and Mindy, yeah. Yeah, um, and... He was a producer on like Brady stuff. I guess that's where Cousin Oliver the Jinx comes in. But <laughs> this seemed to be a show that was just a job to him. And it's, it's, he didn't have any true affinity or interest in the characters, which is why I think it ultimately turned out to be such a bland, almost perfunctory episode. Um, it's like he took all of the dumb tropes, like the gun-toting murderers and the bad car chases and the ditzy blondes that had been like the, the, the bad side of network television throughout those decades that he worked, just mixed them all up and then just threw them out as an episode of Quantum Leap. I mean, when you think about it, there is not a lot of real character work in this piece. It's just action, expository dialogue, Action, Al saying something dumb. Action, somebody gets squished by an engine. <laughs> Credits. We're all, going to, we're all going to Hawaii. Woo! Al's got some great lines, though, in this. Like, I like when he says, like, yeah, he's a French fry. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me just add to what, what Chris was saying there, though, as well. It, the, the, the final, the climax of the episode, the, this massive car chase, is lifted from another Donald P. Belisario production. Yeah. It was a film called Last Rites that was um, made uh, about a year before the episode of Quantum Leap. And I have no evidence for what I'm about to say whatsoever, but it just, it almost leads me to believe that, okay, they didn't know where the script was ending. Donald had this great car scene that he wanted to, this, this great car chase scene that he wanted to use. And they said, okay, just write a script around that. That, that's that's five minutes of footage that we can that we can just drop in. Do you think maybe, and this could be uh, stretching again, um, do you think because they were doing an action episode and Scott Bakula was still injured at the time, they were trying to think of ways to do money-saving action things that involve him but don't. And so they had, they're like, well, we have this car chase scene. We have this thing that we can insert in here. Why don't we do that? It would have required such a rewrite to do that, though. Uh, at, at short notice. It was definitely in the script, so I do think they wrote it around that. Can I ask a question, though? Did they literally take footage from this Don P. Palisario yeah. movie and just drop it into the episode? Yeah. Is that why we went from, like, the low plains uh, desert of the gas station to somehow being in mountains with pine trees exactly. during the car chase? <laughs> yeah, because that yeah. just, that jumped out at me like crazy. I was like, how did they get here the fact it was suddenly like really foggy out of nowhere yeah i'd say i I thought that was dusty i thought it was dust from the road which makes sense if you're still you know in the desert but all of a sudden you're in the mountains with all these trees yet it's still dusty as hell yeah where are they supposed to be they're supposed to be in new mexico because they mentioned taos yeah i think so so i mean i guess they're there might be some mountains there. I don't know where Last Rites is set. I, I've never actually watched it, but um, yeah. But I mean, it looked to me like they were in like some mountainous region, either yeah. in, you know on the east coast or on the west coast. Obviously, it would be in California if they were shooting, you know, a movie, uh, unless it was shot up in Canada or something. I don't know if they were doing that in the eighties, but anyway, um, that is that's a revelation. I had no idea, but it also answers a big question I had as to the the drastic change in location. 
from from the beginning of the car chase to the end of the car chase. Yeah. Hey, I I had a, a thing to note. Um, it doesn't relate to that, but uh, I was thinking, am I the only one who who thought that Dean Stockwell in the first scene he shows up in like had a cold or something? I had not noticed that. He definitely sounded like he was he was sick or something, and like not all the scenes sounded like that. But I I kind of wondered if maybe that day he wasn't one hundred percent. Well, it makes sense then as to why he's wearing a giant bathrobe for the episode. <laughs> I always wondered about that. That <laughs> oh robe my God. coat. I mean, I love 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 Jean Pierre's fashion sense, especially when it comes to Al, but. This one was a little bit of a misfire. <laughs> I don't, you know, the weird thing is, it, because it's Al, you genuinely can't figure out if it's supposed yeah. to be a robe or a coat. <laughs> but I wondered about that, especially because he, it, during an indoor scene wearing that, but maybe because they knew it was leading to like outside and it was kind of cold or something. Mm, I don't yeah. know. But yeah, th- it was very strange. It was it just another thing that stood out as weird in this episode because Al is by turns clueless and then a little bit rude. I love the delivery of there's this line dubbed in after Sam gets shot with like the world's most obvious squib and uh, he, he gets <laughs> shot and then they dub in Dean Stockwell like, Sam, oh no. Sam. I don't even remember that. <laughs> so low remember, key. <laughs> I mean, it just, it took a, but you're right, Allison. It, it, the body count got real high real quick and it took such a gruesome turn, especially after what might be the most lackluster leap in of the series to date. I don't know if it gets much less exciting than we had in Piano Man, except for maybe, maybe in Starcross, but it was also new then, just the fact of Sam standing in front of a classroom yeah. and the pipe falls out of his mouth. It's they didn't different need enough. to try hard. Right. It was different enough. Then you were like, what? And now it's like, yeah, we get it. We know there's going to be an old boy. And to Scott's credit, he pulls off the old boy pretty good in this one, even though it looks like it's been looped back in. Um, maybe just to get the inflection right, but I'm going to just, uh, again, hold Sherlock's feet to the fire here. Um, Obviously just said, oh, let's make him a lounge lizard and he'll leap into a piano and someone will say, play our song. And he doesn't know what that is. What? How, what how's he going to get out of this one, folks? And it's just like, it's, 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 have you seen the show? Ed, Ed, come here, Ed. Ed, I just, you know, you're a good guy, Ed. I just, I just, I, this, this is Quantum Leap. You're, you should yeah. maybe familiarize yourself with it before... I, it just struck me as, again, someone that didn't really know the show or the dynamic of the characters. And they had to go with it because, you know, we got 22 episodes to produce and this is one that's in the can. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the leap-in was not terribly exciting. I think really the only pitch they I think that they were trying to go for is like, all right, Scott Bakula's going to be playing the piano. You're going to well, get yeah. some tunes. <laughs> that's true. And that's to get back to my original point, though, I mean, we went from that that sort of boring, awkward leap into this, this virtual bloodbath that was just almost nonstop until the end of the show. So it was, it was just this, this disparate tones of the episode. It wanted to be comedic, and it was comedic and gruesome, and none of it really worked. They maybe should have rewritten the intro a bit so that it ends with the car explosion and then the oh boy and then you're like okay what's going on there that would have been a cliffhanger yeah i mean i mean maybe but then we wouldn't have had the first act cliffhanger 
well, I mean, you can, th- that could have been him getting shot in the leg. I mean, you could do all sorts of things <laughs> to rearrange that. I mean, uh, you're right. And we could sit here and rewrite the episode all day. But the fact that we're coming up with better cliffhangers than a veteran network TV writer, I think, says volumes about what it is we just yeah, said. Well, I'm not defending it. I'm, so. I'm agreeing with you. They could have had a more exciting <laughs> intro, <laughs> especially with like that little temp track playing and stuff, like kind of. Boop, 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 Thank you. I like that. I like that bit of it, but yeah. <laughs> I got one question for you guys. All right. I want to know, do you know how to cut loose? Everybody cut loose. loose. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get Chris singing. Do not start Chris singing. I won't start singing that song, uh, even though I'd probably do a better job than Scott. And <gasps> I'm, I, we got to get this girl's name because I feel What are you talking about? I love Scott. Listen, there's one thing that you can say about Scott, especially in this episode. He sings beautifully. He plays mm-hmm. beautifully. Mm-hmm. And at least we got to get that highlighted in 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 this. Um, it, it lent something to to the episode. But that Footloose scene <laughs> went a long way to undoing all of that. How can you not opinion. love that scene, okay? It starts out, right? <laughs> they have been rescued by a couple of helpful cowboys... As you do. There's some funny coffee spilling going on. Uh, a friendly a friendly lady like, oh, you know, us at these diners. We're a bunch of friendly small town folk. And then they're having a, a moment. And then she's like, you know what? I want to know, can you cut loose? And just, they take their cue, serenade the entire bar. Everyone's dancing in the background. Having <laughs> a great time. Who cares if they're going to be killed? Who cares if he's <laughs> shot in the leg? They're, they're, they're cutting loose. <laughs> oh, God. And it's Marietta De, De Prima who played uh, mm-hmm. I'm a Jinx, uh, Lorraine. So, Marietta, we, we don't mean you any disrespect. You did the best with what you were given. But, but boy, oh, boy. She must have some musical training. Because I, uh, I saw – well, she sounds like it anyway. But, like, I was looking at her IMDb to see what else she's done – and she was in this bizarre show that was called like Little Mermaid Island, which was this strange live action Disney's Little Mermaid. And there was like two episodes and it was never picked up. And it's it's really creepy with all these puppets. But uh, but she sings in it every week. So I, I wonder if she had, you know, some like real training in that department. When they do the duet of Somewhere in the Night in the show, if that's her singing, I mean, that was genuinely very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if they had another singer doing that or if she was actually the one that did it. If she did, then yeah, she definitely can sing. I think it was her. I think they probably hired her specifically. Like they, they were looking for an actress who could sing and, and do comedy. But the soundtrack version is Scott Solo and it is much better than the version in the episodes. It's got backing singers and everything. I think it was like that because they were, I remember seeing an interview about this. They were trying to just get this song on the airwaves kind of like separate it yeah. from quantum leap and like release it as a single like they were trying sure. to make it a thing yeah well if it could happen for joey scarberry and the greatest american hero why not scott bacula and quantum leap <laughs> you know <laughs> believe it or not i'm getting shot <laughs> <laughs> that 
that was in the in the script as well um that he was singing a song but they didn't have anything written yet so they they were intending to do a song for this specifically for the episode um and in the script it just says like it's something called the fool which i think would have been super on the nose if he was singing a song about the relationship called the Mm. fool (laughs) like what a fool i was I'm, <laughs> you lost me there. I think maybe the pretender, that would be more Sam, right? I don't know. Yeah. But, I, well, I'm, I think for their characters, like uh, for the guy he leaped into, like yeah. he was a fool for leaving her or something, you know, something like that. No, I understand. Um, that makes more sense anyway. But I mean, yeah, just you're right about that, though. I mean, <laughs> the way you characterize that diner scene, because the only thing I have in my notes is like pianos everywhere, apparently, because because show. I mean, what di- you know, I've never all those been small town diners with the, with the pianos <laughs> diner that's had a piano, and... like like an old Western piano. Like the, <laughs> they're going to be drinking sarsaparilla and then ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I just oh, boy. it's yeah. It's, it's, it's... I love Scott Bakula doing Somewhere in the Night. I know that you think the song is annoying, but I love it. I don't think it's annoying. I think, I think that the song is actually the only saving grace of this episode, because without this song, nobody would have any memory of this episode, fond or otherwise, because it's gotten to be somewhat iconic in fandom, the song itself. It's, it's a wonderful song. Um, I don't think it's... I don't think it's just the, the the episode saving grace, although it is, um, and I I think it is the reason that some fans will say, "Oh, Piano Man, that's a fantastic episode." And you say, no, really think about it: is Piano Man a fantastic episode, or is two or three minutes of it fantastic? Um, but honestly, I I will take that song out of the episode and still argue it's a good song. It's not an amazing song, but it is a very good song. Yeah, I enjoy it, and I think like there's something about Scott Bakula serenading the audience with his beautiful <laughs> tones. You know, all the women melt. It's such a shame he didn't take his top off while he was doing it. Um, <laughs> yeah, you didn't get any fan service in this at all. No. Really a shame. Maybe that's what makes it bad. Yes, it could be. And... Is, the, is this the most... Is this the most modern episode of Quantum Leap? It's in, like, 85 or something. Nearly. Nearly. What was um... the... Was Temptation Eyes the, mo- the one that was later? I, without saying spoilers, Revenge of Something um, is, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Y- you know what I find interesting? I'm sorry, I keep jumping all, all over the place here. It's okay. I mean, this. I mean, if we did this episode linear, linearly, it might be as boring as the episode itself. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we digress. Someday you'll be my wife! Well, one thing I find interesting about episodes they do that were, quote, modern at the time you know 85 was not that far from when they were actually making the show this was 91 or something at this point when you get time travel shows and in even quantum leap sometimes when you time travel you get sort of these uh, rose-colored glasses about things uh, where you kind of exaggerate things about the decade that aren't exactly accurate you're like when i think of the 70s i think of disco and platform shoes when i think of the 60s i think of flower power and and you know hippies um but when they get to the 80s, you don't get the same kind of exaggeration you would see uh, in in something doing something from the 80s now, because that was not that far away from them at that point. Right. And so you, you don't see like people in a yeah. bunch of neon dancing to new wave music or something, you know? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah I, I think Permanent Wave edges on that a little. Does it? I don't. I, I don't recall that. I, one I that, think that, it, that much. It, it edges towards that a little, but I totally agree with Alison. It's um. 
it's it's too recent to have that nostalgia. And it's exactly it, it's always surprising when Quantum Leap goes there because it's it's quite clear that the whole concept of the show is let's aim at the mid thirties to mid forties audience in circa nineteen ninety and give them a bit of nostalgia for their childhood. Um, so the the 80s almost seems like, okay, we've got to throw the 80s in because statistically he's got to leap to the 80s at some point, but it seems to be contrary to the whole, um, the concept of the show. I found it very, uh, strange that this was something that was set, uh, in 1985 and it was in New Mexico and it was near where Sam would have been at the time. <laughs> because they mentioned Taos. He, that was where he had his first date with Donna. I know that was in a script, but not really on the in the mm. episode. Mm. But that is supposed to be around where I don't know if Project Starbright was there, but I think Sam was around there at that time. So I, I'm, it's surprising that they didn't acknowledge that at all. Sam should go and look himself up. But it also goes back to the writer of the episode who was doing this for a paycheck and was moving on to the next thing next week. He didn't give it. I mean, ooh, whoop, whoops, put in the handling uh, sound effect, Alvy. But he he probably had no idea there was a Donna. He probably had ne- he he maybe read the show Bible and said, "Okay, these are the elements." How important was Donna at this point, though? Someday you'll be my wife. Not very, but I think at the same time, had it been a staff writer instead of a writer for hire who just sold the script, there would have been a bit more backstory, especially considering what you're pointing out, Allison. I had no idea that. In script somewhere, they had mentioned uh, Sam and Donna's first date, and. I don't know how they would have played it since Sam is supposed to, you know, not remember her anyway. But I got to think that if it was Tommy or Chris or Deborah writing this episode, they would have thrown that in there somehow or alluded to it somehow. Just some more character connection. I think Al would have probably said a line about it or something. Yeah, I mean, it's in the whole mythology of the show, if, if you look at, that in context, it actually makes more sense that Al doesn't, but that gets into spoiler territory. So, well, he does stuff like that later. He's just like, hey, look over there. That's where the project is, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I guess maybe I'm thinking more specifically Donna stuff, you know? Sure, sure. But I mean, even if you don't acknowledge the Donna thing, because that is like a, a cut line that was never in an episode. But even if you don't do that, you know that this is at a location that is near where Sam would have been at that time. And especially if you're going to set it in the same state that the project is in, uh, I don't know, like there, there should have been some sort of lip service to that. One of those throwaway moments like in Roberto would have just, it would yeah. have fitted nicely. That's exactly what I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we'll get to that throwaway moment and then we'll bring it back to this episode. We'll say, see, see, Piano Man sure would have benefited <laughs> from that. do it. <laughs> So I don't know about you guys. It's funny because uh, look behind the curtains for the listeners out there. We do on our show notes page, we have what we liked about the episode, episode strengths, what we didn't like, episode weaknesses. I have one thing under episode strengths and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, a dozen things under weaknesses what I didn't like. Oh, I don't even write anything down in that section. I just... <laughs> you prepare yourself. It's perfect. An episode strength for me, beautiful second unit shots. That's what I wrote. Beautiful second unit? <laughs> Half of it is like a, reused from another movie? Yes, yeah, <laughs> now that I know the that. second unit is lost rights. I had no idea. No well, you, clue. You liked, the, you liked his, the song, though, didn't you? Um, well, I, I mean, I didn't you didn't mind. think it was great, but you thought it was the saving was, grace, right? I, I think it was the least objectionable bit. 
Yeah, it's the only thing that made the episode stand out in any way. How's that? And I also had the freaking song stuck in my head all last week. It was driving me up a wall. So well, especially since I don't, <laughs> I don't know any of the words to it except for somewhere in the night and holding me tight or whatever. So it's like the same refrain. Oh god, just kept going we through so my head. Gonna, oh, we're we're going to troll you with this over the next few days, just to warn you. <laughs> Do not open any sound files we send you. uh... It's going to be like a Rickroll, right? It starts out somewhere in the night and then goes to Footloose. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be real hard not opening sound files from you guys when I have to edit the show together. You know what? Their cover of Footloose is hilarious. (laughs) Everybody, everybody, everybody cut loose. And I'm the guy at the counter. Wait, there should have been someone like playing some spoons in the background. <laughs> oh my How can God. you not have fun with this? I, I mean, are, are we going on to strengths and weaknesses and kind of wrapping it up here? Is, is this what I, I, we're doing? I mean, I yeah. I mean, unless you guys want to talk any more about the characters, uh, characters. We, can, we can include <laughs> that exactly. That's, well, that's what, what I mean. Who else do we have to cover? We kind of there's only like three yeah, so. big ones, isn't it? Right, there's Nick. And then there's the steely-eyed hitman who never gets to say a word, but then gets creamed by a truck. Now, was he part of the actual episode, or is that an extra in the Don Belisario movie? <laughs> no, in the script, he, he's just called The Killer. They don't even give him a name. Well, just they think the he's Nicky. They yeah, think well, yeah. he's Nicky throughout the whole thing. Okay, now, I think we're just forgetting the most important character of all. Not the bartender, not the girl at the piano that gets jealous and territorial when she gets shrunk, but that cigar-smoking dude. <laughs> they cut to about 14 times and even in slow-mo in the mm. leap out in <laughs> in the in the lead up from what is it future boy <laughs> was it no private dancer mm-hmm. from private dancer i mean what the de- why did they keep cutting to that dude it was just he like... was having the time of his life <laughs> didn't it look like everybody at that freaking ball was miserable yeah just they were miserable. like i gotta go to this lounge but i hate this music <laughs> feelings boo but then they hear somewhere in the night and they're like yeah i believe in love again (laughs) what am i doing in this lounge wasting my life yes cigar guy runs out i gotta go propose to my girlfriend oh no he got hit by flying shrapnel from the cadillac oh too bad Sam, that's what you were here to do. He was a monster. (laughs) Cigar smoking guy was going to get so many people killed. (laughs) Shortest leap ever. (laughs) (laughs) You know what other line I liked? (laughs) I liked when when Al said that uh, when he's doing the wrap up and he says they go to sing at the Freaky Tiki in Waikiki Kiki You're still performing um, nightly at the Freaky Tiki in Waikiki Kiki <laughs> <laughs> But that's another thing just so so bad about this episode like you said Allison with the body count this woman literally just killed somebody even though it was by mistake not even really in self-defense although you could make that case now let's just look at this logically this is all the police have to go on they have lorraine and joey joey's been living under an alias for three years joey is covered in blood there's a dead guy on the highway behind him uh before that there is a gas station attendant slimy though he may be who can only say they came in on a bad wheel and this guy stole my truck what was that guy's deal (laughs) 
And now, <laughs> you know why? Because he had to be an ass because Sam is the hero and he can't steal a truck willy-nilly. That guy has to have it coming to him. Again, oh, I don't which know. is bad network TV writing logic. But getting back to the whole timeline, now you have them saying, let's go to Waikiki. Well, yeah, maybe in a year <laughs> after the murder trial and the police investigation <laughs> into this apparent homicide by these two shady characters. She's got a trail of there, bodies behind her. A trail of bodies yeah, behind exactly. her. He's got no past. He's covered in blood. And they only have their word to go on that, oh, no, it was just an accident. He was threatening our lives. You know, and not necessarily their words, because he's gonna leap back in and be like, "I have no idea what just happened." Yeah, mine, Joey. My name, my name is what was it, Carl, <laughs> or what was his uh, Chuck, Chuck, Chuck Danner. My name is Chuck Danner. Joey Dinardo, never heard of him. So, see you, ditzy blonde. You are a jinx. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when she pulls herself up and just pulls that that engine down on top of him. <laughs> So so strange the whole thing. (laughs) That whole setting was very weird. Um, The fact that they kept calling, and he was some sort of like plane performer or something. Like he would do like performer slash mechanic. Yeah, that was all very strange. Like it never really seemed to connect to anything, except in the end, he's going to get squished by an engine. Also, they needed to get him to their location. That's another thing that makes no sense in this episode is the timeline. Obviously, an idiot with half a brain could have seen that it was Lorraine leading the hitman to them every time. I got to go make a call. Where are you, Lorraine? Just tell me where you are. I'm at a diner. Okay, come home. Come home now. Hurry up. Get out of there. Come home. Yeah, like who are the (laughs) other suspects? Now, Quantum Leap has never done whodunits well. There is one suspect in most episodes. But but also also tell me this. Okay, so take it for granted that, okay, she didn't know whatever. This guy is obviously somewhere in another state. They had no idea where Joey was. They took her to track him down because he would never give up, give up his music. She had some insight, which was also BS. I went to the last place I know you would go, and here you are. A random lounge in another state. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How many lounges had she gone to? Now, where is Nikki? Is he still in Chicago? So she calls him. He's got somebody waiting in New Mexico. Does he have someone waiting in every county and every state just in case she turns up there? Is he still in Chicago? I think they just grew up there. I don't think he lives there anymore. But how could, regardless of where he is, he's not there. How could he, within an hour or less, take it for granted a set is about 50 minutes, Sam had another set to do. All right, that's giving them the outside if he's going to go for another hour. They could have someone there to wire a car, to blow up, and within within the hour, how'd they know which car it was? Which car, exactly. <laughs> Maybe they were all rigged. As soon as they drove <laughs> off, the other cars just... <laughs> <laughs> no one in that bar mattered. Everyone was fodder. Cigar smoking guy, dead. As soon as they left, blown to smithereens. They even tried to give some logic to that because one of Lorraine's lines was, oh, you would never let anybody drive your car. So obviously they know that he loved his car and it must be the same car outside in the parking lot because otherwise why would he let anybody, you know, it's like they even tried to make that make sense and it's just too little too late. They realize that this is really kind of dumb. So can we fix it with this line? Yeah, just throw it in. It can't hurt. So, Chris, not a fan. I feel the episode falling apart as we talk about it. All of these things that seem to make sense just crumbling. Oh, Grasshopper, it was never together. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so, but I mean, it's also, you know, just weak things like that. Again, plot complications because she's a jinx. It's mm-hmm. just, it's just lazy. It's just lazy writing. So, and I expect so much more out of Quantum Leap. I kind of, I liked that, uh, that Al bought into the whole jinx thing, which kind of mm-hmm. goes into his, like, he, he believes in all these sort of strange things, like, ah, curses are real and ghosts and all <laughs> these things. He's like, maybe she's a jinx, Sam. You gotta get rid of her. She's gonna get you killed. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't stop to think that maybe there's some connection here with the mob and all that. There must be some mystical jinx thing going on is why they keep finding him. Al just watches far too much Scooby-Doo. <laughs> you want to know something? Ed Sherlock, his latest project has been What's New Scooby-Doo. <laughs> I'm not kidding. The, exactly. He was the producer on some Scooby-Doo show in the 2000s. So yeah, you're not far off, Sean. Uh, Sean. Mm. You're, not, you're not far off, Matt. Did you call him Sean? Did I, yeah, I don't know Sean? Why, where the f*** that came from. Who's I'm, Sean? <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think in my head. Where did Sean come Is out that, of my head? Oh, that's the secret identity. He's not really mm. Matt. He's been Sean all along. <laughs> He's been doing this podcast, and now Nikki Bellini's gonna find him! No! You gave him away. Matt, Matt, just tell me, where are you, Matt? Where are you? Just think! <laughs> Hello? You there? Hello? Yeah, sorry, I, um... I, I didn't hear anything after Allison said Nikki Bellini was going to find me, and oh, then no. it all went silent, and I got terrified. The, li- uh, the line went dead. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was quite scary for all of us. <laughs> oh, well, looks like Allison and me are going to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to the freaky deaky and waikiki. Well, that's all right. We can all laugh about my untimely death. We're not traumatized at all. Yeah, just... That's a good comedy. If this episode taught us anything, <laughs> there's nothing funnier than needless death. I think that's what Sam Beckett always thought. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what? You got. You guys are right. You guys are right in that this episode it doesn't feel as quantum leap as some other things. You know, I think what I like about it is that. Every once in a while, I like those kinds of shows that have sort of dumb action things that don't quite make sense. And at least as long as you're having fun, it takes you on a ride. And uh, and I like that, that Quantum Leap plays with different genres sometimes. So uh, for this week, like, it was it was fine for what it was. Like, I, I had a good time watching it. Oh, I got you. And, and mm-hmm. that's fine. I mean, you're allowed yeah. to like it, Allison. You don't have to be bullied and peer pressured by me. It's just, <laughs> I just had definite problems. And it's oh, sure. not that often that I get to bag on Quantum Leap. And mm-hmm. this one is so baggable. It's just No so way baggable. is this worse than Runaway. No way. Oh, are you kidding <laughs> me? Runaway had so much subtext and so much. How long did yeah. we talk about Hank? How long did we talk about Emma? How long did we talk about you know um, Butchie? And there was there was a lot of meat there, even though there it didn't is some seem rich like lore it. to be gotten from cigar smoking guy. <laughs> <laughs> he should have his own spinoff. <laughs> Who cares about Captain Galaxy's spinoff? We need the uh, cigar smoking spinoff. <laughs> it's too bad he got killed in that parking lot. By the way, like, I'm just, like, arguing my point, like, you guys are allowed to dislike it as much as I like it, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. I find it interesting that, like, last week was a song and dance episode, and you guys both thought of it more as a a girly episode because of that, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh, this time it, it was also a song episode, but it was mixed in with action, so do you think, like, it it made it more of a a masculine episode, if you will. 
A boy episode? Yeah. Is what you're trying to say? Mm, yeah, a boy episode for those boys. <laughs> is that boys with a Z? Um, yeah. Or B- boys or B- in the house. B-O-I-Z? Yeah. <laughs> but this episode wasn't about the songs or the music, really. It was... It, that element was kind of crowbarred in so that... They, they, were a, they were a singing act. Yeah, but it that wasn't what it was about. It was an action episode, and they knew they wanted to get Scott to have a song, and they could have crowbarred that into any other plotline. Um, I, I, I don't consider that this episode to be, yeah, a, a singing and dancing one. It just happens to have a couple of scenes in that you could take out and not lose anything. You, you know what they could have done to marry this thing uh, with their plot a little bit better, and and maybe f- smooth out some of the things that are a little goofier about it. Um, use their their singing act. As a way to like make money on the road, they run out of gas. They gotta sing a song, <laughs> yeah. you know, like you know, put something into this that kind of marries these things. A that more. would have made yeah. some sense. It worked for maybe baby. So yeah. one, well, no, yeah. she was stripping for. I know, but it's still. I mean, she was she was using her strengths. They were thinking on their feet on the road, you know. So I mean, it would have been like a Brady Bunch episode where they have to sing as the silver platters to get mom and dad <laughs> the. Uh, I don't know, the picture frame for their anniversary or whatever. I mean, that was sort of the level of this episode anyway, so why not? (laughs) (laughs) Can I ask one question? Al had a fencing teacher? Yeah. Oh, Al did everything. (laughs) Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Don't people in the Navy have some sort of fencing training? Am I wrong on this? Uh, Really? I don't, he's a I Navy say, pilot. I want to say they have like sabers or something. But like it's Marines. Their, Marines have no, Marines sabers. Do, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But they're part no. of the Navy. I mean, technically, they're they're part of the naval services. Because he was a pilot. He he wasn't on a ship. But so I, I really. But fencing is foils. That's different than sabers. Yeah. So, I don't know. What is he, I like, could be wrong on that one. Jean Luc Picard and Guinan. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see Al fencing now. I, I really, I mean, it, that's just, it was just a weird, another weird thing to throw in there. And he can fence, he can sharpshoot. He can, he was in the, he he was in the circus at some point. Yeah. <laughs> he can do everything. He plays pool. He had a pet cockroach. I mean, yeah. you know, is there no ends to his talent? <laughs> I guess, I guess it was just an odd choice to throw in fencing. And one of the last things that I want to bring up just is really, I mean, really, Ziggy can't find an airport they don't know whether to turn left or or right i know that they can't focus in on mm-hmm. dizzy blonde on lorraine because she's got a screw loose literally apparently biologically she has a screw loose where they can't they can't lock in on her i get that could they not center on on nikki bellini then no, but could they also sam's like well tell me where the airport is ziggy doesn't know we don't know how the Blank. What? Do you not know where an airport <laughs> is? You just look at a map. <laughs> you know what? I bet Al could just step outside of the of the uh, the project for a little bit and just look up <laughs> nearby <laughs> where this where airport is. Where are these planes landing? <laughs> well, that's yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess maybe I'm nitpicking now, but um, no, I think that's a fair nit to pick. No, you're absolutely right. I, d- I did find that as a problem too. That like Ziggy should have been on the ball on some things. That it seemed kind of they were kind of uh, contriving the plot a little bit. Yeah, it was because show. It was all because show. Yeah, which is often the case with Ziggy. 
One one other question I had for you guys, because you seem to be the experts in this. Um, music replacements. It seemed to me that after the intro, when they were reconnecting at the bar, Joey and Lorraine, they started playing some music that seemed vaguely 80s. Was there an 80s tune in there that might have been more recognizable at one point? That you know nope. of? No. It, I think in the script it was something else that I think maybe they're trying to sound like. Because I I think he was supposed to be playing like uh, a uh, Stevie Wonder song. So I think maybe they're trying to approximate that. Like maybe at some point that was a track they had in and they they couldn't get the rights. But uh, it does sound very generic. It sounds like almost like modern love or tenderness or just Mm -hmm. something that was, you know, very, very early 80s to me. I think I've said pretty much everything that I have to say about Piano Man. Do you guys have any final observations? Is this good Quantum Leap? Allison, <laughs> go on. I don't think it's as bad as you guys think, but I do agree that it uh, it has problems. So, I mean, just on paper, yeah, it does have a lot of issues. I think it's an entertaining episode, but uh, I guess if you don't like it, I, I can't argue with uh, the reasons why. I think next time I watch this, um, <laughs> whenever that may be, I'm going to try hard to sh- shrug off the criticism and not think too much about what I think Quantum Leap should be, because I, I'm sure there is something to enjoy in it. Um, but uh, as, as Chris has alluded to a few times, it's, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like good Quantum Leap. Um, but that shouldn't necessarily stop it from being a, a fun uh, 45 minutes of TV. Yet somehow... Well, listen, I, I know <laughs> you're being kind saying I alluded to it. I'm just going to flat out yeah. say it. No illusions. Oh, yeah. This episode fails on almost every level On the, with humor. The drama, the humor doesn't work. The drama doesn't work. The characters don't work. The plot doesn't work. The tone is uneven. Not even the violence really works because they're trying to play that for laughs too. So, I mean, I think people just remember it fondly because of the song. But without that, I don't think anyone would remember this one at all. So I'm going to put this one on the books is probably in my bottom five. But it's not the bottom, right? For you? Uh, You know what? I don't know. Because, listen, I I was, like I said, I was throwing a lot of shade on Runaway and... Uh, private dancer and now i think those are pinnacles of quantum leap compared to this so who knows who knows what's coming down the line there are a lot of oh, episodes man. i just don't remember <laughs> there are episodes that are that are way worse than this coming up dude well here's the thing is like i don't <laughs> want to call this one the worst episode of quantum leap because i don't think it deserves that distinction it's not interesting yeah. enough to be the worst episode yeah. so <laughs> so i'm gonna keep it with the bottom five uh yes allison there are some amazing disasters yes uh, later on so yeah so if there's gonna be a worst episode yeah let's wait for one of those amazing disasters good point good point i should warn you guys i i pretty much uniformly love season five so i think we're gonna have some arguments a bit down the line oh boy well i didn't say it was season five but the fact that you knew I, it I, was I, mm, I, who's yeah. lying to themselves <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll get into those when we get into those. Yeah, and that's going to be a lot of fun. So things to look forward to. And uh, now that we are done bagging on Piano Man, we're going to go to a break. And we'll be back with our interview with Velton Ray Bunch. So 
why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Hi, everybody. This is Sean Ray. And John Irons. And we're the hosts of Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk podcast. We're a show that has a little bit of everything. Yeah, we talk about movies and TV and cartoons, entertainment news, and every show has a different theme. That's right. We might discuss anything from our favorite bad movies to who would win in a fight between C-3PO and the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was episode 41, a classic. Uh, You can download that episode and all of our other episodes on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, We're on Podcast Addict and, of course, on our website, CosmicPotato.com. Is special guests and movie nudes and geeky nerddom, nerdy geekery and lightsabers and time lords and ninja turtles all the way down. So check out uh, Cosmic Potato, the super fan talk podcast. That was an excellent break, if I don't say so myself. So <laughs> now we're going to be throwing to our interview with Velton Ray Bunch. Chris and I got to sit down and talk with him about the music in the episode, uh, specifically about Somewhere in the Night, and I thought we had uh, a lot of really cool things to talk about. So here it is. On the line with us now is Emmy Award-winning TV and film composer and composer extraordinaire for the entire series run of Quantum Leap, Mr. Velton Ray Bunch. Hi, Velton. How are you? Oh, I'm doing very, very well. Thank you, and thanks for those kind words. Well, let me be the first to welcome you back to the Quantum Leap podcast, Velton. You've appeared on the show once before speaking more generally about creating music for Quantum Leap, but since today's show is specifically about Piano Man. We'd like to take a little bit of a deeper dive into the music for the episode. And if I may be so bold, Somewhere in the Night is by far the most memorable thing about Piano Man. And it's also a favorite in the Quantum Leap fan community. So um, if you can, can we start at the beginning? Can you let us know? What was the genesis? How did the idea first come about? Well, the the genesis uh, for the song was Scott Bakula. Uh, and uh, Scott approached me, um, oh my gosh, about a month ahead of time. Um, I'm kind of getting my head of myself, but as of course most people know, music is uh, my part of the show. Uh, the music is generally written, uh, or maybe a month after everything is filmed, a month to six weeks, because of the editing and that type of thing. But uh, Scott called me and said that there was this episode coming up that he was playing, uh, you know, what we call a lounge lizard and uh, piano player. And he had an idea for a song for the episode and uh, wanted to know if I'd be interested in co-writing it with him, uh, which, of course, I was. He had seen the script. I had not. And he had um, started writing lyrics based on what he thought was a good song somewhere in the night. And um, he had a few lines like that. So he brought it over to me, and um, that's really the genesis of of how the song started. And then as we progressed, uh, you know, he added a few more words, and I added the music, and then he took it back and added changed lyrics. Got a perfectionist, and Mm -hmm. uh, uh, kept working, working on it, and working on it, and really so. What you have is the completed project. I thought he did an extraordinary job with the lyrics. I think the lyrics are really good. Yeah, it's such a catchy song too. Like it, it gets stuck in your head. You know, before we we did uh, the podcast on the episode, we were replaying the song, and it just 
throughout the day just thinking, oh, somewhere in the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it does. I mean, after all of this time, um, it, it still holds up pretty well. You, you can't get it out of your mind. My wife was saying exactly the same thing the other day, uh, that she couldn't get it out of her head once she heard it. So I guess was, that's good. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> was it originally written as a duet like it was in the episode, or was it written more like uh, how it was in the soundtrack with just Scott Bakula? No, it was originally written um, with the idea that Scott would be performing it. Uh, of course, we knew that um, there would be an actress or, uh, you know, playing the other part that would have to sing as a duet. So, um, you know, we prepared for that also. But, but it really and truly was intended just as a, a single vehicle for Scott. Was there an idea to... Uh, I thought that I heard this in an interview somewhere, that there was an idea for this song uh, to try and get it on the airwaves, maybe as something separate from Quantum Leap. Was that ever a thing? Yes, it was a thing. And I think that didn't go very far. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> Yeah, I um I had the, the big idea that we should release this thing as a, as a as a single because we had the same reaction from other people that that you just had, you know, that it was really catchy and um, uh, that it, for all intents and purposes, could be heard on the radio. But at the time, um, there wasn't a lot of uh, that going on in TV or cross referencing between record companies and t- and television the way it is today. And uh, so we really didn't get very far with that idea. Um, and of course, we eventually recorded it uh, for the soundtrack album. Right. And I was looking at my soundtrack album earlier before we got on mic, and I have it here in front of me, actually. And mm-hmm. I noticed that somewhere in the night is the first song. It's like the third song, really, after the Saga Cell and the main title. So that's usually where you put the hit. Was that intentional? Uh, yes, it was. <laughs> it was. And it certainly uh, was and still is the most requested uh, piece of music from um, the entire series. Every time we had one of these uh, fan gatherings around the world. Um, you know, we just get constant requests for the song. And if Scott appears, you know, he's always asked to sing it. And so, yeah, absolutely. It was intentionally put there in the third spot, I think, as you said. Yes. Now, I want to maybe take it back a little bit and talk about more of the genesis of the song. I know that you said that Scott knew that Piano Man was coming and the Lounge Lizard character was mm-hmm. part of it. So mm-hmm. he came to you about it. But before that, I know musical episodes are sort of a, a, a fad now on, on a lot of TV shows. And was there an idea before Piano Man was written, kicking around um, – maybe the the idea of incorporating a song into an episode did it predate the episode or was the episode written for the song what 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 came first the idea for the song or the idea for the episode um i would definitely have to say the idea for the episode uh would have had to have been first uh i think uh the original script as i recall didn't uh, specify any song it just said you know, Scott, uh, Sam sings the song as a lounge lizard. And, uh, so it was, it was completely Scott's idea for the title somewhere in the night. Uh, but the episode would have had to have come first. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, since your turnaround time on this was pretty much a 180, I mean, you, like you said, you usually have, you know, four or six weeks after an episode to score the thing. So take us behind the scenes when, when you knew that you had what, two weeks to put this thing together? 
Well, frankly, I, I don't remember. I don't remember exactly how much time we had, but I can tell you that. Um, um, I'm sorry, the squeaking in the background is my dog dropping a ball. <laughs> the growling in the background is my dog chewing my finger. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, I digress. Of course, in television, as in movies, uh, the music, as I said before, it always is done in what we call post. Um, you know, it's post shooting and after everything is shot and edited and then the music is done. Well, the really difficult part of uh, this particular episode is, uh, the music has to be prepared first before any filming or any kind of shooting goes on. You have to have this song in place and, uh, ready to go. So it leaves very, very little time to get it done. Frequently we will, um, go in and uh, record what we call a temporary track, you know, maybe just with piano and a vocal or something like that. And then we'll shoot to it. And then later on, uh, clean it up, uh, go back and add stuff or take away stuff and fix all the misfires or that type of thing. But in this particular time, as, as I recall, and it's been a long time, we went in and uh, I played the piano and Scott sang, and that's pretty much what you hear. We didn't do a lot of fixing on it. didn't need to be fixed. And later on, of course, you know, for the soundtrack album, we, as you can hear, we re-recorded it yes. and um, added you know, a band and strings and that type of thing. But uh, yes, you're you're 100 percent right that there was a very short turnaround, and we had to have this ready to be uh, start shooting, filming, and um, and of course, I, I think that's the first scene in the show, as I recall. You know, he's in the lounge and he starts singing this song after pro- being brought in a little bit. Well, no, it's the opening thing to the whole episode. So yeah, we had it uh, had to be ready. Yeah, and I noticed that too because I hadn't seen the episode in years, and I was surprised that Somewhere in the Night was the very first thing that you heard after, you know, after the opening credits anyway. Penny. Yeah. <laughs> Let me say that again. <laughs> that Somewhere in the Night was the very first thing you heard after the opening credits. Yes, yes, it it really was. And I'd forgotten that also until I watched the episode again. So I'm just curious, what did you think of the episode? Uh, overall, then or now, I um, <laughs> both did, did it change. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, I I don't specifically remember the episode at the time um, standing out to me, other than it was such a unique premise, you know, with him being in the lounge um, and being the lounge singer, if you will and a lounge lizard as as you will and all the prep that has to go into that and of course there were a lot there's lots of music um within the show that wasn't somewhere in the night while he's in the lounge and so all of that's very unique to most television shows and so i remember that very distinctly it uh, required a considerable amount of uh, prep work and pre-scoring as we call it before the show was filmed as i said a minute ago and then of course after it was all edited and put together and finished then we had to go back and um, do the actual scoring you know for the music underneath the scenes for instance you know when the, they're chasing the truck chase in the end and those type of things so um, so that that's what I remember most vividly was all the prep work that went into it mm-hmm. was this uh, was this one more work than the average episode or would you say it's it's just different or 
Well, it was yes, it was both. It was um, quite a bit more work um, to put it together, and uh, yeah, I, I um, and it was very different. You know, it was very different for the very for the reasons I just said. Um, you know, because we're trying to portray a guy in the lounge singing, and so you want it to have a, a live and present feel as if he's really singing and not that he's just up there lip syncing, um, you know, to some record. And so I, I thought, um, I thought we did that very well. And I thought Scott did an amazing job of that. Yeah. Well, take us behind the scenes on that because it does look so extemporaneous and natural when Scott is singing in those scenes. And I know that he can play and he can sing, obviously. Was he actually singing live when you guys were recording and you ADR'd what you and he worked on after that? Or how did, how did that work when it came practically to the shooting days? As I recall, uh, I know that the piano playing is me. And um, so I we went in the studio and we recorded the piano and, uh, and then he sang on it. Um, for the most part, if, if I recall correctly, he ended up um, using the pre-recorded piano that I had put down, but I believe we used his live vocals. I think he sang most of that live. And when I looked at it, the episode again, a while ago, I, I am pretty sure he did that live. Not a hundred percent sure, but I think so. Well, it's just it, it's so perfect, and it's it's not really overproduced, which is what would make it hard for it to be, you know, like like inserted after the fact. So that's that's why I asked that exactly. question. Yeah, exactly. And and the other and to further to what you're saying uh, that made it feel live. You know, there were a couple of points in the show where uh, he was singing that, or in the lounge. I'm sorry, where he was singing. And then he would kind of noodle on the piano and she'd noodle a little bit and then they would <laughs> sing together. So uh, we worked very hard to create that feeling that you were in a lounge somewhere and it wasn't just playing back to a track. I wanted to ask too, um, did you do that particular arrangement of Footloose that was in the episode? Yes, I did. <laughs> I'm responsible <laughs> for that. Yes, I did. <laughs> I thought that was great. I love that. <laughs> I did too. You know, I remember I had completely forgotten that until I looked at the episode and I went, oh, no, I remember that was really fun to do. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was great, them singing that and the, the piano just happening to be there at that diner. <laughs> what for, a coincidence. For no particular reason. Yeah. Well, there's a piano. Let's sing Footloose. <laughs> yeah. Go figure that too. I, I thought that when I looked at the episode again, I said, oh, they're in this. Uh, diner the country diner this thing in footloose i don't know but it worked well <laughs> it was a great spontaneous moment you know or it felt spontaneous yes it was <laughs> now if i can just go back to the process a little bit i know i might be trying to dig a little bit too deep but i know that you said scott came to you with the idea with the lyrics and then you went back and forth with him to get the music together but ultimately who had to mm -hmm. approve this did you guys have to bring this to don and perform it for him or who who was sort of the, the final gatekeeper to say, yeah, we're going to put that in the show, or you know, did, were there notes? Change this, do that. How how did that evolve? I don't um, recall that there was um, any kind of outside um, pressure on this particular song. Uh, Scott, you know, was very musical, and I think he knew what he wanted, and uh, we never got any uh, feedback about changing things. Uh, one way or the other that I remember. 
that's not true for a lot of the other music in the show. You know, there was always give and take and uh, changes to be made. But on this particular song, I think that it uh, was emanated with Scott and uh, ended with Scott. And uh, he uh, felt like it uh, portrayed um, the lounge lizard part of him very well. And uh, I, I don't remember him having to make many changes. What was the reaction um, from the the cast and the crew? How how did the show regulars receive the song when you guys finally unveiled it? Oh, exactly like Allison just mentioned. I, everyone was just thought the song was great, and uh, people were telling me, "Oh, this should be on the radio. You know, you should record this with uh, you know big you know uh, band and orchestra and all this kind of stuff." Uh, yeah, the reaction was great. And in fact, I um, I remember very well, I thought the song should have won an Emmy. Uh, it didn't, but it should have. <laughs> Was the song nominated or or this is just wishful thinking? <laughs> wishful thinking, wishful thinking. Oh, okay. Um, the, I, I uh, don't remember what song won that year, but I know it wasn't as good as this one. <laughs> In my humble opinion. <laughs> well, speaking of, you know, you were talking about doing the studio cut of the song after you did the show. Now, mm-hmm. now take us in, into that a little bit. How did you approach arranging the song differently for that recording? Tell us, tell us about that process. Well, that process involved... Um, making it really taking it to me and making it more contemporary, you know, by adding uh contemporary by meaning um, I'm using that word to mean radio friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, we still had hopes that we would be able to make a record deal somewhere and, and uh, get some airplay out of it. So we went in, you know, with a live uh, band and produced it more like what you would hear on the radio. It, uh, during the 90s, you know, at that time, like a big uh, dramatic ballad. And uh, Scott re-sang it uh, because, uh, as I said before, he's a perfectionist and, you know, he wanted it perfect. And uh, so we re-recorded it along with a lot of music for the soundtrack had to be re-recorded. I thought it sounded great. I was uh, I was just re-listening to it today in the car, actually. I was uh, driving to the store and I'm like, yeah, put the soundtrack in. Yeah, it was great. (laughs) good 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 bringing it back to the way you guys recorded it on set for the tv show though there was also that moment where scott had the duet with marietta de prima and they were singing it together was that also the natural audio that was captured on the set that day that you recall did you have to get marietta in to do any um behind the scenes adr for her role in it as as I recall, and I'm not 100% sure of this, uh, she came into my studio and we did a, you know, we taught her the song and um, put it in a key that would work for both of them. And uh, she went back out and we did, yes, we recorded her, but the version you hear on the show is live. That seems unusual to me that it was live during the episode, because usually even when things are supposed to be live, uh, they usually do a recorded version, I would think. Yes. Well, you're 100% right. Uh, I just, um, I am pretty sure that they did it live. Uh, and I, because I just can't, I can't remember her coming back to clean it up or to do anything. Uh, I just remember that I was on the set with them when they recorded and I had to okay it. So 
we did. I just, I, so that's what leads me to believe it's live. You can't see any lip sync at all. I mean, it looks perfect. So, yeah, yeah, it really does. Both of them did an amazing job with that. And so, yes, I, I, I'd say with certainty that it was live. It sounded like um, she had some musical training as well. Uh, she had a great voice. I think so. I think she came from musical theater, as I recall. Um, and I think actually it was somebody that Scott maybe have had some relationship with, you know, I don't, um, in terms of uh, musical relationship with, you know, cause Scott came from a musical background himself. Oh, so okay. I, I think I'm not hundred percent sure of that. Cause of course I'm not involved in the casting generally, but, uh, uh I'm pretty sure that's where she came from. Yeah. Okay. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if he did know her because they did have some chemistry together. And that was um, yeah. one one yeah. of the better parts of the episode, in my opinion, was when they were at the keyboard, they seemed to have a genuine connection. So maybe the exactly. fact that, that he did exactly. know her and he called her in, maybe he was thinking about that. We should get Scott on the phone and ask him about that. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know that for sure, but I would be willing to bet that that's the case. Oh, that's really cute if that's true. I kind of, I like that. <laughs> well, we'll pretend it's true. Then. Yeah, there okay. you go. <laughs> okay, yeah. Good, good job. <laughs> well, are there any other memories of recording the music for this episode or the genesis of Somewhere in the Night that we may have missed that you want to share? You know, um, no. When I was looking at the show, it brought back so a flood of memories that I had <laughs> completely forgotten. And I'll tell you some of the, the interesting things now when... In the beginning, when Scott has the little drum machine yeah. on the beginning, you know, <laughs> yeah. sitting up on the piano, I remember so well now recording that, which I had completely forgotten. And that was just this little, we actually sought out the, the, the cheese, cheesiest, cheapest sounding <laughs> uh, little drum machine that we could find. And we recorded that, and that's what that was. That that made me laugh when I heard it. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you certainly you certainly <laughs> succeeded there, right? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and and as Allison said, the footloose thing was really great. I had completely forgotten that, also. And, uh, that was so much fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. And, and and I'll tell you, the very last scene was quite a bit of fun too you remember when all the you know we go back and they're in the lounge again and they're having a birthday celebration and uh and uh, he's singing and playing that, that was great too it was just really a fun fun episode very different and thoroughly enjoyed it well that's terrific thank you so much for sharing your memories of of that production with us uh, what are you working on these days tell tell our listeners what you're up to well, what I'm up to is um, I am working ex uh, quite a bit with uh, Dolly Parton, um, wow. who has just, yeah, yeah, uh, we have just completed two movies for her, and she's just signed a, a Netflix deal for a series of um, eight to ten shows, uh, one-hour shows, that uh, will begin filming here in about a month. And uh, there's obviously a ton of music in that, um, you know, she's, you know, legendary songwriter and just a fabulous person. So I'm uh, just just getting started on that. This is going to be a really uh, busy year for the next year working with her. Oh, that's excellent. I, I think I heard about that. The, the show, each episode's based on one of her songs, right? 
Yes, exactly. And the two movies we did were based on her songs, uh, Code of Many Colors. So the next movie is to be called Jolene. And, uh, and then each of these episodes will be based on one, you know, one of the big hits she's had, each biographical kind of hits. So it's great. Each of these shows is very much like this episode in Quantum Leap, where we have a tremendous amount of pre-score to do, you know, in terms of getting songs ready to be shot. So it's a lot of work, but it's it's great work, fun work. Now, is that a different kind of animal for you to be working on? Because being the musical director for whatever, a movie or a TV show, I mean, you're pretty much it. But here you are working with a legendary musician who just might have something to say about the way the music on the show is presented and arranged and all that. Is is it more of a collaboration than you're used to? What's what's it like? Well, it is, um, I wouldn't say more of a collaboration than I'm used to, uh, but um Dolly in particular is um, very, what would I say, uh, particular about how her songs are presented, as she should be. And uh, so she she certainly gives me ideas and asks for changes if she's unhappy with uh, things. Uh, Fortunately, over the years, I've worked many times with her and um, we have a great mutual respect for each other. So she is very involved in the songs, per se, and less involved in uh, the um, scoring type things, Um, almost never gets involved in the end there. And so it works out great. It really does. Very similar to the way Somewhere in the Night was handled and uh, there was very little input from anyone other than Scott and myself. And uh, so, and then Scott didn't get involved in the scoring at the end of it. So it was great. I had a couple of, of kind of self-indulgent questions, but if we are holding you up, like I, I don't want to. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm great. Okay. Uh, well, th- these are relating to different episodes of quantum leap, but I, I got to ask uh, just in case this is the only opportunity. Did you have anything to do with the ABC rap that Dean Stockwell sings? Did you have to do with that? Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. You're really <laughs> taking me back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, yes, I did. I absolutely did that. And um, I'm responsible for that, for good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the ABC rap. I'm just going to say I, I adore the ABC rap. But I, I just want to know, like, anything about it. Do you, do you remember anything particular about uh, making that? Yeah, you know what I remember uh, now that you bring it up. Uh, Dean came into the studio to uh, record uh, his vocal on that, and I was struck by how nervous he was. Really? Time, you know, because you would you well, you would think of an actor, you know, as being very confident when they get into you know in front of a camera or whatever. But of course, you know, coming into a recording studio was completely foreign to him. That's and. Uh, uh, he was very nervous about the whole thing, but uh, he did a great job, and we recorded you know, several versions of it, and um, he picked one he thought worked pretty well. But yeah, yeah, I mean, he was great to work with, but very nervous, unlike Scott, who's very confident and uh, very musical, so completely different experience. I think he actually enjoyed it. Yeah, it. Uh, I, I guess it would make him a little nervous. I know he, like singing is not uh, his, his forte, but I, I just... Uh... I really love that song. I, that's another one I love listening to on the soundtrack. <laughs> uh, I have to go back and listen to that. I heard that in Eon. Was that another one that the episode was written with that in mind, or was that something that uh, 
someone thought up and it ended up put into uh, an episode somewhere. I know it was in the script as uh, Dean does performs a rap song, but uh, I, uh, as I recall, yeah, I, that's been so long ago, and I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at that episode to tell you that, but I'm sure it was in the script and passed on to me, and I wrote the song, and so there we go. Excellent. <laughs> Can you imagine Dean's reaction? Dean saying, <laughs> what? Al does what? He sings a, a what? <laughs> yes, I can. After I, as I said, when he came into the studio, I think he was really kind of shocked at uh, what he had to do. But but he did it well, didn't he? I mean, he really did it well. Oh, yeah. Uh, because we're doing the episode Glitter Rock, uh, where he, where Sam leaps into the, uh, the Kiss band a couple episodes from now, I, I thought uh, I would ask uh, about that one, if there was uh, any memories of, of working on that one you'd like to share. Oh, boy, I, I have uh, vague memories of that episode. I, I, can, I can't be more specific, really. You know, oh, okay. that's one of the interesting, that was one of the most interesting things about doing Quantum Leap, though, because uh, every single show, of course, was a different um, locale, a different style of music, a different um, time. And uh, I, I just am amazed when I go back and I, I forget all these different episodes and all the vast territory we covered musically over the years. I, I've never done any a project since then that required that kind of dexterity or that um and and it was gosh it was so much fun it really was and every week was just a head scratching event as to oh my gosh how much <laughs> it is and, uh some of those episodes like uh glitter rock you know was one of those as i recall and uh all these all these shows were just so different and an amazing show really really the best show i ever worked on I, th I think that really speaks to your talent, the fact that uh, you had to do such a, a wide scope of different genres of music, and uh, and I thought you did an excellent job with all of it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, it certainly required being a chameleon, you know, and uh, oh, I just learned so much from this show, and well, wish it would have gone on or wish it could come back, but <laughs> I guess we can't go backwards. Yeah, I think all of us wish that uh, that it would have went on a little longer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we always have our DVDs, our laser discs, and our soundtracks yeah, to fall true, back that's on. True, so. That's true. And you turned me mm -hmm. on. You turned me on to NBC.com. I had no idea the show was on. So. <laughs> yeah, it's coming really handy since they took it off Netflix. I get to watch it on NBC.com before we record every episode. Uh, yeah, yeah. And from what I can tell, there is no music replacement. Yeah or very little music replacement that is, you know, endemic in the home video releases. So it's it, it's nice to be able to see it the way it's meant to be seen. You are absolutely right. That struck me also, that very thing, because uh, frequently of the shows that I've worked on, you go back and you go, oh my God, I didn't write that. Where did that come from? So yeah, that was really, really nice that the shows have stayed intact as they were written. Yeah, it's it's great. NBC's got the original uh, soundtrack on it, and uh, the Blu-rays also have the original music. And it's it's great that uh, those things are available because it it didn't used to be. So, so Velton, you have been so generous with your time. Do you have any final thoughts or any messages for the leapers out there? Well, uh, I, I I will say that I've I've enjoyed the uh, different uh, leaper conventions that I've attended. There have been a handful over the years that I've been able to go to, and I think Scott and I have performed at a couple of them. Uh, so always somewhere in the night is um, you know the the 
first request from all the fans. And um, I still get letters requesting the sheet music for that. So it's kind of interesting the life that it's taken on. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Uh, It's been a blast. Thanks for indulging our questions. Oh, I enjoyed it very much, and uh, best of luck to you. On the day I walked away All the blue rolled into gray Should have stopped, but I could never, ever stay. Somewhere in the night, inside my dreams you burn so bright. And I'm with you there and everything's alright. Somewhere in the night, before the darkness turns to light, let me love you there. Second chances I won't get Wouldn't dare to hold And yet everywhere I turn I see your silhouette Been so long But I never will forget Somewhere Inside my dreams you burn so bright And I'm with you there and everything's alright Somewhere in the night Before the darkness turns to light Let me love you there Somewhere in the night Time after time I find that I'm Thank you so much again to Velton for talking to us. Uh, I thought that it was a really fun conversation. He was super cool. And I thought that uh, it was a really great interview. 
But now that that's done, I have been waiting long enough. <laughs> I want to know what Matt discovered. You've been hiding uh, it from us. Yeah, he alluded to us. I mean, what is what was this little email? What last week? Oh, by the way, made a giant discovery. You remember Allison's <laughs> mirror image thing? Yeah, well, yeah, there's that, but then there's this. So, but I'll tell you during the next show. So, oh, come on. I didn't pick it up that much. <laughs> I've been trying not to. No, we're the ones hyping it up. Yeah, I, I have teased Allison a little bit about it the last couple of weeks as well. Okay, so just a, a little reminder, um, and this will be spoiler sensitive for the, uh, the people who haven't seen Mirror Image. What we know so far, Mirror Image as aired ends with uh, Sam and Beth, the uh, Al's alive and he's coming home. We then have in the script the scene which we never thought was filmed, um, where Al and Beth are in the future. And then there's that ridiculous alternate ending where it actually says at the top that this is an alternate ending that we could use. So obviously a bit of a joke. The discovery Alison made earlier this year was photographs of that extra ending um the, the the first extra ending al and beth in the future and i bought that um but for some people photos don't tell the whole story um sometimes a bit of extra background information can help so i've i've been doing a little bit of digging and one of the things that i love to get hold of when i can do is shooting schedules and they're quite hard to track down but of course we've recently chatted to uh, somebody who was in mirror image so I was uh, chatting to the very generous Mr. Richard Hurd, and he happened to mention that he had the shooting schedule for Mirror Image, and he was kind enough to send that across to me. Hey! Richard Hurd, the gift that just keeps on giving. Man. Exactly. <laughs> and one of the things in, in the Mirror Image special, um, one of the things I said was, look, it, it's, it's a very unlikely scenario, but if Alison's scene was the last thing to be shot, possibly somebody might have run in and said, no, no, stop filming, we're not coming back next year. What I have been able to confirm through the shooting schedule is that that scene was not the last scene to be shot in the schedule. It was shot on day seven of eight. So we can be almost certain now that that scene is not just, it's not a rehearsal, it's not a technical setup, it's Alison's scene is something that was actually shot. Hey! That's amazing. I'm so excited. Nice sleuthing work, sir. Thank you. Do you want to know what surprised me, though? Hmm. Um, because that was why I got hold of the shooting schedule, because I thought it would prove that beyond a shadow of a doubt, and it did for me. What really surprised me is something that I've just, I've just uh, sent across to you guys, because I want to hear your reaction, and then I will tell the listeners what you're reacting to. <laughs> Thank you, Alison. That is exactly the reaction I was hoping you would have. I'm so excited. That's the, the end of the shooting schedule. So day seven ended with Sam telling Beth Al's alive and he's coming home, and then Susan Deal getting made up in old age makeup so she could do the future scene with Al. Day eight was entirely dedicated to the ridiculous alternate ending that everyone thought was just a joke. We have oh. um, the day started oh, with Alan, Alan, Beth, and Beth telling Al, "You've got to go and leap after Sam." It then they then move to the bar where Al has a conversation with the bartender, and then they ended the day in the futuristic space bar where 
Al makes a joke about having some huge cassavas. Wow. That is amazing. Al's future. It's even Al's futuristic cassavas dash wow. That's the, name, that's <laughs> that's the, the name, name of the scene. <laughs> I was, when when I turned over that page, I, I was shaking when I saw it. And I just, I, I sent a message to Alison saying, OMG, like seconds later. <laughs> wow. Space warriors. There are right? going to be space warriors <laughs> there, in there this There were 20 scene. space warriors. Oh, man. I'm so excited to hear that this was on the shooting schedule. Because, like, man, let me tell you. Okay, when, when I uh, when I read the, the futuristic possible sixth season ending, I didn't think it was a joke. I think it was an idea they had. I just didn't think it ever got even this far. Um, yeah. Because it was on day eight, do you think they actually did it? Well, that's that's the thing. There is still, as I said, Back when we were talking about the photos, there is still the possibility that anything that late in the script, uh, that late in the schedule, there is always the possibility that they they pulled it at the last minute. They had stages assigned for the first two of the three scenes. Um, they would have had to have cast the blonde bombshell. This um, this shooting schedule, by the way, came out one day before filming, so there okay. there is a there is an extra in there, which is Al's reflection, um, who would have had to have been cast because this was. Eight, eight days before the end of the shoot. On the flip side, that's the 4th of March. On the 2nd of March, Dean Stockwell gave an interview saying, look, I don't think we're going to get renewed. So there was obviously a lot of feeling on set that this wasn't coming back. So it is certainly possible that that final scene or that final day didn't happen at all. But just the fact that they scheduled it is... Um, that blew my mind when I saw that. That's crazy to me. I've never been so excited to see the word cassabas. Uh, <laughs> that was literally the first word I saw. I just thought, oh, oh my man. God. Oh, I don't know what wow. you're talking about. Like, this is just as exciting to me as, as finding those negatives, honestly. Like, I just love confirmation that they were going to do it. I was excited just to see your scene. And that's why, Alice and I asked you, does your scene have any, any dates on it? And you confirmed that you uh, it was in an envelope that said 3rd of March. Um, oh, which yeah, is, yeah. Which, which, which backs up the shooting schedule. So, because I was, I was trying to sneakily find out. Was that the third of March version or the fourth of March version? Um, so your your photos are of the the first version, but yeah, um, I all the only reason I got this shooting schedule was to see if I could back up that your photos were from a, a scene in the middle of the shoot, and that was enough for me. That's great. And then I just thought, oh, th- there's another page after this. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wait, that is crazy. And they were going to shoot seven and three-eighths pages that day. So that's a big day to do seven pages yeah. in one day. I guess TV moves at a big, at a, at a big, you know, at, at a faster, a much faster pace. But seven pages in one day is insane. If anyone's been on a movie set, they know that. And a futuristic space station bar, that's not a small set to pull off like that's very intricate and yeah uh, especially with all these extras and stuff that had to have been a lot to put together and you got to think that they had already basically had it together if it was on the shooting sure. schedule so exactly that's that's the thing it's so there's there's no stage number on it but yeah they had to have it the the one the, the other interesting part in terms of the amount of time they would have spent on it um the script specifies that the miners are the space warriors so those 20 miners that you see as extras um in the second scene those guys would have had to all go off and get changed into their space warrior outfits so they they, that would have caused presumably quite a significant break i i wish that jacqueline saint anne 
remembered more about this because I'd want to ask if she like was putting together space warrior outfits and stuff like that. Yeah, I I have dropped a line back to Richard Hurd and said, "Do you remember filming a scene with Dean Stockwell?" Because what I suddenly realised looking at this is him and Dean obviously wouldn't have shared any lines together in in what we knew was shot, um, but they would have done in this in this final scene. I haven't heard back from him yet, but uh, if he remembers filming with Dean, then that's, oh my God. that's good if, enough for me. If this really happened. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I uh, Give us the answers. NBC, <laughs> Donald Belisario. We need to see this. Uh, it's we, another where's amazing the footage? day at the Quantum Leap Podcast, I everyone. will pay good money. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Just take my money. <laughs> Shut up and take my qualus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I got a question for you guys. If this had been shot, would you have liked this as an ending or a lead into another season? Like, what are your thoughts on on this futuristic uh, bar scene? Oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you know what? You'd you'd have to ask the more self righteous twenty. Was in ninety three. So yeah, you have to ask the more self righteous twenty three year old in me. That was probably <laughs> like at that point quantum leap initiative aficionado, and. I think I would have had a problem with it because it completely broke the rules of the show up until that point. And I, we're also all still reeling. I mean, Mirror Image, first time it w- it aired, let me just set the scene. You guys, I don't know if you've only seen it in reruns. We were all scratching our heads. We had no mm-hmm. clue what we had just watched. And there had been no mythology built up around it. There had been no warnings in place beforehand. There had been no fan culture that has come up as a result. It was just there in real time, and it was a giant bomb that just blew your mind saying, what the hell did I just watch? So to top that off with Al being in a futuristic space bar and looking into a mirror and seeing himself as a blonde bombshell, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think I might have jumped out my window. I don't know what I would have done because it would have just been sensory overload. Me? Now? 48-year-old Chris? Oh my gonzo god, bring this on, please. I want to see this like with my dying breath. I could just smile knowing that this footage exists. Holy moly, is this a find? And I, yes, yes, a million times yes, Allison. <laughs> I, I mean, I think like I, I didn't mind when they broke the rules sometimes if it was in the service of something interesting, and that would have been fun as a one-time thing. I don't think that it, it, like if it was a season of being in the future and all. I don't know about that, but as like a one-time thing, yeah. If it was leading into a season six, that that would have been great, and I, I would have loved to see Al as a leaper uh, on a more permanent basis. Yeah. See that 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 aspect would have been fun. It's the it's the space age bar thing. I yeah. don't yeah. think they would have pulled that off. I'd love to see some set photos or something. I kind of imagine it would have looked bad. Probably. <laughs> it probably didn't age terribly well. And space warriors for goodness sake. <laughs> you say that but think about how impressionistic and minimalistic all of the stuff back at the project was was it minimalistic well here's the thing you had the giant center console with zig i know it's we're, we're jumping the timeline but we, we already gave the spoiler alert i mean you you basically have the giant hand link that gushy stands behind and a blue room and a blue room 
uh, with a couple of ramps leading up to them. Well, because they had they had a blue screen, and that's kind of the set they could use. <laughs> yeah, but what I'm saying is that doesn't age poorly at all. Like to me, that says quantum. The future presented in Quantum Leap looks legit still to me, and maybe it's just the geeky fanboy in me loving those aspects of season five. But I think that if they were going to go for this, I think they would have gone with a look that would have approximated the aesthetic of the show in such a way that it would have held up, in my opinion, because I'm an Mm -hmm. optimist. Okay, well, if we're breaking the timeline a little bit here, there are episodes in season five, there's one particular episode, I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about, where we get to see that future. And it is a lot of that kind of like, back to the future, tinfoil, face paint kind of thing, um, <laughs> which never really particularly made sense to me. I-, I always thought it was kind of funny in the books that, it, it, you know, outside of the project, generally people sort of wrote it like 1995, 1999 was, you know, like they didn't go like, oh, here's a bunch of like electromagnetic cars or random uh. magic things. Like generally they just wrote it like, it was supposed to be, and and that makes the more sen- most sense to me that the project has a lot of spacey futuristic stuff because I mean they got like a, a super hybrid computer with uh, artificial hybrid, intelligence, <laughs> parallel hybrid computer. <laughs> yes. Sorry, um, they have that. They have a time machine. They have all sorts of like tech that wouldn't exist because yeah, it's a fantasy, you know, but outside of the project, I always sort of just made up in my mind, despite the contradictions that it was just 1999 as it was. And I think that I probably imbued it in my mind with more of the quantum leap flair, but being a Star Trek fan living past 1994 with no eugenics (laughs) wars, I can do that disconnect. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I get it. Like that shows history. Their 1999 is not my 1999. It's their 1999. That's the way I look at it. I think the things that married it together pretty well was um, Jean-Pierre Dorliac's design. Uh, he would do these futuristic slants to them for the, the costumes, but there was always something grounding to it. Like it would be based in something that is a trend or was a trend and then add something to it that's a little unusual. Uh, and so it would be these really quirky outfits, uh, but it never felt like you're just seeing someone in a big costume they got from the Halloween store. And there there was the scene in Honeymoon Express uh, where Al's at the, the funding meeting with the committee. And there's all these little details that if you aren't paying attention, you miss that it's supposed to be futuristic. Like mm-hmm. the suits that they're wearing have these unusual collars and the, the microphones that they have are, are these futuristic microphones that, that don't even seem that weird nowadays. But in 1990 would have been, yeah. I mean, that's not what microphones look like. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. And the little lights that went on, the blue light, the red light. Yeah, I, I, I caught all of that. That's the, the future that I think that they should have gone with. And I don't think Space Station Bar would have... I think it would have been like Back to the Future 2 with Biff Tannen. And I like, love Back <laughs> to the Future 2. Someday you'll pay my wife! <laughs> yeah, but in, in Quantum Leap universe, I it just... It, it's, it takes it too much out of reality. Well, I mean, he's in a far future space bar. Of course it's out of reality. How far, how much further out of reality can you get? Yeah, but Quantum Leap is... It is a science fiction show that uses science fiction as a means to an end. A lot of it yes. is just sort of real problems rooted in the real world. It just uses time oh, travel course, and body swapping and all this stuff to get there. But uh, taking it to a space station bar, it doesn't ground you in anything. And it 
it's sort of one of the reasons that um, that Donald Belisario said it within his lifetime, because you didn't want to have all of these, like, way away from what anyone relates to. You know, you go back to caveman times or something. I mean, like, right. you, ancient Rome. I mean, you relate to someone, even if you weren't around during, like, the 50s, you could still be like, okay, but I know what it's like to have problems with your father and and uh worrying about if they got to go to a home or you know all of these things like uh, you can see within your own time your lifetime of course and that was the beauty of the show and the brilliance of the show it used this high concept science fiction to tell very simple human stories and um i'm i'm a fan of that but being a science fiction fan if they were just going to go balls to the wall, far future space <laughs> bar, I'd like to see what they were going to do with that as well. And like I, I would like you to said, see it. yeah. But like you said, they would have gotten back to that bread and butter storytelling sure. that has defined the series. I believe it might have been different because season six was obviously going to be a departure no matter what after Mirror Image. It had to be. But. I don't think they would have strayed that far from the formula that built the fan base and kept them going for five seasons. I think they already had done quite a bit in season five. This seems like the culmination of of where they were going towards, which was there's a lot. Again, we're jumping ahead a lot, but um, there's a lot about season five that is not the way that Allison's just described Quantum Leap, that, that is about the science fiction elements. Yeah, granted. Good. Good point. That's true. They did. They did go more into that, and uh, I guess when we get into the season five, we can talk about that. But and I think there's great aspects to that too, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I yeah. just think uh, going into the the far future like that is the most departure it would have been. Um, and and I think as a one time thing, it would have been a lot of fun. I would have loved to see it. I love that 90s version of the future where everything's yeah. sort of chrome and neon and sunglasses <laughs> and weird head attachments and, you know, <laughs> silver everywhere. Like, that's a lot of fun. Uh, just not as a permanent thing. No, okay. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Matt. Thank you. That's amazing. Tell me, because I, I, I was dropping a lot of hints to Alison in particular. and um, Yeah, I feel like I feel like you guys were going behind my back on that. I feel like I'm <laughs> uh, poor little Chris left out in the rain. I, only because um, I had a feeling she might squeal um, when she saw it. And, and you did. So, <laughs> um, but, but my question is, um, you said at one point you, you had a feeling that you knew what it might be. Were you right? No, I well, I I thought it had to do with the script because you were asking yeah. about the dates and you said yeah. it wasn't as solid as images. So I was like, okay, maybe maybe he has a shooting script for Mirror Image. But I thought, you know, it was just sort of like, okay, but here is a copy from Richard Hurd, so we know that yeah. this is a real script that was used for the episode and not just, you know, yeah. some fan thing that someone said yeah. was a script and added to. <laughs> uh, yeah. I didn't know you were going to have this space station stuff. No, that threw me for a loop. That's great. Good. It definitely did me. <laughs> and I was suitably, suitably impressed. Suitably impressed. <laughs> See, that's what I love about this. You know what? 30 years later, 30 years later, we're still learning things about Quantum Leap. That's so great. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to go on record. I'm going to say, Matt, this is just about as good a find as Allison's because they both equally corroborate things that have only heretofore been myth. This corroborates the other part of it. Yeah, for sure. And that was all I was trying to do with this. I thought, okay, I've got the opportunity here to get some written evidence to go with the photographic evidence. I think either one of them is is pretty damn solid by themselves, but together uh, they form a very compelling story. 
um, that that shoot day eight was just a shock that I was was not expecting. Sat at my desk at work, um, <laughs> trying to trying to concentrate on my day job. <laughs> I think I can sum it up best for all the fans out there in two words: woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's what I love about this podcast too. This is the this is the best extra features that Quantum Leap never got. There's so many mm-hmm. cool things that we're discovering about the show, and I, I'm glad that other fans are getting to hear because it's just it's fascinating to me. Amazing. All right. Oh, guys, that's wow. 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 We need ah NBC. Get into the vaults. Get us this yes. footage. Yeah, we got it. You know what? Uh, we'll, we'll put a call out there now. All right. So, you know what, Allison? You are absolutely right. And let's try to take this thing one step further. I mean, we do have listeners out there. Can we start some kind of letter writing campaign? We found this. We found this. Let's let's just give up the pretense and give us this extra content. We know it exists. What are you waiting for? I don't know if that works anymore in the in the teens, in the twenty teens. Do letter writing campaigns still have any kind of sway? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it, <laughs> it very much depends. But you know what? Something like that would let uh, NBC or whoever owns the rights. I suppose Donald Belisario, Deborah Pratt. Um, it would let them know how much interest there is in this show. And mm-hmm. uh, so even if it didn't lead to that, it could lead to other things. You know, they're like, okay, people do want to know about this. Then here's what I'm going to say. Watch our Facebook page, watch our Twitter feed, watch our website. We will eventually come up with some kind of letter that you can sign your name to. Just print it out, sign your name to it, and send it to NBC. Detailing all of these discoveries and demanding that they release this extra footage in some way. Because, Allison, you're right. It will do something at least to let them know that the fans still exist. And if there is something in quantum limbo that has been waiting to see the light of day, this might help push it towards fruition, even, you know, just that much more. I don't, you know, I'm I'm, not, I'm realistic. I know it's all about the money. But still, if we can show a fandom that still exists that's enthused about this stuff, it can't hurt, Right. Well, at the very least, you could get it back on Netflix. That'd be pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Attainable goals. Baby steps. I like the way you think. (laughs) Well, if anyone's listening has connections at NBC, look, snoop around. I want to know, do they got this saved somewhere? (laughs) All right. Before we start holding our breath for that revelation, maybe we should tell people about the next show. What episode have we got next? (laughs) Southern Comforts. I really, really have uh, another one I have almost no memory of. But Well, this should be interesting. Talk about mixed messages. I mean, last week we were talking about the evils of prostitution in Private Dancer, and (laughs) this one opens up in a cat house. (laughs) Prostitution's fun, kids. It's going to be our all-adult triple X rated episode. You gonna blow? Or wait till the whole house burns down? Blow? Yeah. Yeah, the candles. Give him my gift.
gift. Do we? Oh, happy birthday! Oh, boy! All right, well, that sounds like a lot of fun. So, guys, are you ready to get back down and dirty between the sheets with Sam Beckett? <laughs> Always. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Oh, Chris. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting rewatch for sure anyway. So until that time, everyone, I have been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Alison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. The super, super Matt Dale who made the discovery of oh. a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you next time, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Alison, Matt, and Chris. With voice talent and contributions from Zoe Dean and Hayden McQueenie. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The Quantum Leap Podcast is edited by Albie, Allison, and Christopher DeFilippis. The production assistant is Jesse Newman. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap Podcast is Albert Burge. Juan Muro, Christopher DeFilippis, and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit barrenspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production. All right, so why don't we come out? Allison, why don't you come out taking umbrage with Matt? We'll do a little bit of theater. Here I am taking forcing. Taking umbrage? I keep... I'm sorry. I, I use big words sometimes. What the fudge does that mean? <laughs> it means, uh, it's, you know what? I'm trying to, never mind. I'm trying to force like a You're trying to here. manufacture me, a debate. I'm trying to manufacture exactly. Me stupid. And it's, it's bullshit. Okay. What, it's debate me, over me, the episode or just that I no, want to no, know no. what this discovery is? You're hiding it from me? <laughs> How dare you steal my thunder? It was kind of like that, Okay, so. here. Well, uh, that's No, what it's I'll okay. Do. Please don't that's do it do. that way. <laughs> um. Okay, let me just see. I had... Uh, I had one more here that I was, and I lost it. My dog distracted me. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, I totally understand that. Yeah. She got something caught behind something, and she was like, so. What, what, what kind of dog is she? She's a brat is what she is. No, she's, um, she's a Bichon Maltese. She's a little, she's a little white dog. Bichon Maltese? Also called a, Mal so a Maltesian. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> She's from Texas. We got her from Texas. So I'm sorry to oh, derail. No. I'm derailing the interview. I understand. I'm sorry about that. But uh, oh, oh my goodness, dogs, dogs are more important, anyways. So. <laughs> <laughs> See, my my cat was making noise before the thing, but she got she got kind of quiet when we're recording, which is usually the opposite of how it goes. <laughs> well, that's good. That's very respectful. Yeah, right. <laughs> so maybe cats are better. So how about your your pooch, the one that was squeaking the ball? Oh, she's up. Townhound, she's a terrier or something that I rescue, <laughs> and uh, all she wants to do is play ball and play. And so, whenever I sit down and I'm in one place as I am now on the phone, she just brings the ball in and, and uh, drives me nuts, frankly. <laughs> but uh, anyway. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.